Coffee with Humans is live, candid conversations between strangers who become friends. Made possible with your support. Subscribe, share, and comment on your favorite platform. Contribute at Patreon or get Coffee with Humans mugs and more. Links are at coffeewithhumans.com. Thanks for joining me. I'm, I know very little about you. We have awkwardly <laughs> stared at each other for the last eight minutes. It's everything about the concept is what we don't do anymore. We don't just have conversations with people where there's not an agenda. Right? It's like meeting a stranger in a parking lot or something and then like, hey, you want to have coffee? <laughs> yes. Oh, so how are you, you doing? How's your day? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we are live here with Coffee with Humans with my soon-to-be new friend, Christina. She's still actually a stranger. I only met her about eight minutes ago. That's the essence of Coffee with Humans. Two people just bumping into each other randomly and saying, hey, let's grab coffee. Before we got on the broadcast, I was thinking if we could have this discussion anywhere, where would that be? And I came up with, we, we could be sitting in Iceland in a hot spring. Lovely. So if you could have this discussion anywhere, where would it be for you? Love this question. I'm stumped right now. I'm not really a uh, beach person in terms of getting in with the aquatic life, but I do like to be near it and feel the breeze from it. Okay. And so anywhere by a beach, what drew you to clicking the button to have coffee with me? I was searching and I found this one and it grabbed me. It pulled me in and it just seemed your podcast and coffee with humans seemed very welcoming that you were really eager and enjoyed just making meaningful connections. Coffee with humans is like Sunday brunch. <laughs> I love Sunday brunch. <laughs> okay, good. Cause well, you're in the right place. Only there's no food. Um, <laughs> true we are live here with coffee with humans with my new friend lane lane welcome to coffee with humans hey good to have coffee with you, nice <laughs> you okay so i have a coffee i have a coffee mug here it's fancy coffee with humans coffee mug uh it does not have coffee in it i just want to be straight up uh it's got a strawberry watermelon fake flavor thing with water yeah i don't have any coffee i drank mine but I'll just hold on to it. It's kind of oh awesome. my gosh. You know, you know what we need? We need a coffee sponsor uh, who I could then say today's coffee is provided by coffee sponsor, right? Yeah. Until then, we'll just keep paying Starbucks. Oh my gosh. Is that where you, is that where you go to get your coffee? Starbucks? I actually started to get the Amazon brand. Uh, really? From the Kirkland brand to the uh. Amazon so Amazon Fresh or whatever, whatever it is. It. Oh, <laughs> I, I read online that it's actually pretty good, and I can't tell the difference, but it's cheap too. So, we'll oh, so it. you gotta you gotta do a blind taste testing for yourself. I uh, okay, so I've done the Amazon brand. I just had um, uh, Cafe Bostello. Uh, the uh, so I do a um, mocha pot, Italian mocha pot for my coffee in the morning, and. Uh, so I get a, I get a cup of espresso, it's a, which is about three shots or so of espresso in my little my little mocha pot. But I've done the Cafe Bastello. I just had Cafe Gavinia, which is delicious, amazing, great coffee, affordable. I've also done the Amazon brand, both in light roast, dark roast, medium roast, and decaf. Uh, so I've I can speak with a bit of authority on the the coffee brands. You can't go wrong with the Amazon brand except the light roast. Don't bother. If you really like coffee, get the medium or the dark roast. Yeah, I was looking up. I had to see what a mocha pot is. I, I know I've seen this before. Yeah. So what's the deal? Like it can makes it like you steam off the extra water or something like that. Or? M-O-K-A. The water goes in the bottom 
And then as in that you sit on the stovetop, it's an aluminum thing. It's got water goes in the bottom and then it has a it has a metal filter basket with a tiny hole in it. And it and it, the, the water pressure as it boils goes up as steam, basically, or hot, or hot water through the coffee grounds and then out the little top and sits in the sits in the top part of the mocha pot. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. It is. It's totally good, uh, good stuff, and and uh, makes a nice, rich, deep, dark cup of coffee. If you like espresso, if you don't like espresso, if if you like more of more of a medium, uh, medium to light roast sort of cup, it's probably not the thing for you. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll have to buy one of those things because stuff <laughs> to buy. <laughs> you totally, you totally should. So what I'm, I'm curious now that we've got the coffee thing out of the way, what, (laughs) what is the, uh, what inspired you to click the button to have coffee with me? Well, I just try and, uh, spread the good word of, you know, real financial freedom tactics Mm -hmm. that I've kind of learned along the way that, you know, kind of screwed my parents over and a lot of hardworking professionals out there buying a home to live in, investing in 401k, garbage investments, all that type of stuff. And, you know, helping people buy a rental property is something I did, you know, started back in 2009 and it's kind of allowed me to quit my job uh, just to be an engineer. Yeah. And where are you located? I'm in, out here in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, gotcha. That's awesome. And you, uh, so I'm in Illinois. I've been to uh, Honolulu twice. Uh, beautiful area, but it's been it's been well over twenty years since I've been there. I'm sure a lot has changed. Not much. Not much. No? Things don't really change too much out here. It's, it's kind of <laughs> it, it's an it's an island time, which is why it's kind of nice. Uh, but I do enjoy getting out there to the mainland. I, I travel quite frequently, so check out my properties up there because um, we we invest where the numbers make sense which is typically uh, um, I don't know about Illinois Illinois is kind of a going downhill quick but you know, Texas Alabama uh, Arizona you know not not places like California New York or Seattle yeah. those type of places. yeah well those uh, those places tend to have pretty high high uh, property values already. You're you're so my guess is you're looking for places that the when you say the numbers make sense is that you're going to be able to to buy it probably at a good price and rents are pretty good or or on the uptick. Is that kind of yeah? What I mean, your it's, strategy is? You know, it's not so much price, right? Like it's more like like the the that we get or the amount of rents we get for our dollar, right? So it kind of distills down to this thing called like rent-to-value ratio. So we look for properties that are 1% rent-to-value ratio or higher. So you take the monthly uh, rent divided by the purchase price and it needs to be 1% or higher. So you know, a lot of places we'll target are like $100,000 for a house that are rent for more than a thousand bucks a month. Um, folks in like California, Washington, Hawaii, New York, like you're like half a percent, if that. Like it just doesn't work. Like to yeah. be able to the cash flow, you know, we're not really into buying for appreciation. You know, the right. whole buy low so high is great when it happens, but you know, we don't take chances. We're more cash flow investors, buy and hold guys. Yeah, well, I think one of the calculations, and this is uh, this is secondhand, so I 
the details of it could be fuzzy. But one of the by one one calculation uh, here in the area that I'm in, which is northern Illinois, outside Chicago by about 60 miles or so, uh, was that over the past, let's say, 20 years, um, the the basically the home values have risen by a total of something like 10 percent. And and so it would have made renting uh, a better deal uh, in our area because there has been no appreciation, uh, or virtually no appreciation on property values in our area, just due to the, due to the economics of both our region, uh, kind of in that microeconomics, and then, uh, the, you know, the, the ups and downs of the economy in general. Yeah. I mean, generally, like it doesn't make any sense to buy your own house to live in. You should take that money and go buy a handful of rental properties, which are going to also grow for you, uh, put cash flow in your pocket. And then the difference maker is the, the tenants are paying down your mortgage for you. So you're getting that, that principal payment off mm-hmm. the hard sweat and tears of your tenants. Um, and, but that said, you know, I think still most people should buy their house to live in because it's essentially a forced piggy bank, right? I mean, I work with a lot of folks who are pretty good with their money, working professionals. Most people are not that, right? Most people are in credit card debt. They need they need envelopes to budget or, you know, they right. need that forced savings account, which is what a house is. But for those people who are pretty good financially, you know, these are the people who like kind of max out their 401ks, that type of, type of mindset people. You know, it's better to invest and not live in the property that you own. Yeah. At least that's what you, I do. How did you get into this? Because you said you were an engineer at one at one point in time. Uh, and now you've got this passive investing thing since 2009, which was a, which was a struggling time to do that, um, or or an opportunity, depending on you know the position you were in life. What what was the what was the path like for you? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up pretty frugally. Um, my parents taught me to go to school, get a good job, work at that job for 40, 50 years, and maybe retire at that point. Um, then also buy a house to live in, right? That's what everybody mm-hmm. says to do. Yeah. So I did that. I I you know I'm made a pretty good salary right out of college, um, able to save up 80 grand in a couple of years. So I bought a house to live in, but I was like never home. Um, I was working as a construction supervisor, traveling on the road all the time. It was kind of silly for me to have this house that I was only home on Saturday to enjoy. So then I just started to rent it out and I was like, whoa, like, you know, like the mortgage was 1600 bucks a month. Like the rents were $2,200 a month. Um, I knew nothing about that rent to value ratio thing. All I knew I was making like, you know, five, 600 bucks every month, passive cash flow. And I was like, shoot, if I just keep doing this a few more times, I'll be able to quit my, quit my job, fire my boss. Okay. And so then, so then what, I mean, it, what it was this, was it like an overnight epiphany type of thing or were you, did you ease into this? Cause I know you, you said something like you have 4,500 properties uh, that you manage. Right yeah. Now, yeah. But. I mean, a couple of weeks went by and I was kind of like, Oh, you know, this is kind of fun. But then I started to like really see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. I mean, it's just a math exercise. Um, I just saved up to buy another property a couple of years later. And then in 2015, I would say six, seven years later, I had 11 rentals. Um, started to buy in more markets where the rent to value ratio started to work. So I had five in Atlanta, four in Birmingham, one in Indianapolis and another in Pennsylvania. But yeah, you know, I had 11 rentals. Um, 
at a few hundred dollars a piece that I was bringing in maybe $3,000 of passive cash flow a month, which was way, you know, doesn't, that's just the tip of the iceberg, the cash flow. You know, I had 11 sets of tenants paying down my mortgage for me, contributing to my principal um, yeah. equity, uh, the tax benefits, and then the properties were slowly appreciating too. So, I mean, my net worth was kind of growing exponentially. It was slow though, I mean, in the beginning, right? That's the hardest thing is to get that first $100,000, $250,000 net worth. But, you know, after a while, it starts to pick up. And yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like, you know, around 2015, 16, I started to you know join different masterminds and get around other higher net worth accredited investors that were a little further along the path as me. Mm-hmm. And they were all investing in these private placements and syndications. So they were going in as a passive LP partner. No debt in their, no, in their, their name little to no liability and they didn't have to do anything. They just invested with the right operators and sponsors and they were able to go into these large apartment deals into better, you know, better business plans, better, better deals essentially. Yeah. How does it work out? Um, curious, curious to know, how does it work out when you are in, in Hawaii and you have five units in Alabama, you're managing these things from a distance, you own them and, I mean, the logistics of getting to Alabama, it's not impossible for sure, but it's not like you're going to go there tonight uh, because something's broken. How did, yeah, how did I mean, you manage it, it all comes that? Down to, it comes down to like getting a good team around you, working off referrals. And this is why your network is so important, right? This is where you mm-hmm. need to find legitimate people to work with. And essentially you have to trust them, right? I mean, a lot of those first properties I bought were sight unseen. I mean, it's kind of a waste of my time to go and visit the property. And I think this is where what separates a lot of sophisticated investors from kind of newbies who have that thing where they need to feel it, touch it. They need to feel comfortable with it. I mean, if you're working with the right people, which, you know, it's a set of people, your real estate broker, who's not just looking to sell you a property, it's your property manager who's going to end up with the headache at the end of the day. So they're trying to advise you the right way. You need to work with them hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, third-party property uh, inspector, making sure that you're, you're not buying a lemon, right? And then, you know, title and insurance. The yeah. bank is usually doing their due diligence on the back end, making sure that you're buying like, a legitimate property, a clean title. Uh, but yeah, with those four parties, I mean, you should be able to, you don't really need to visit the property, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. most, most times, especially for like folks that live in California, these, you know, more expensive markets where you get paid a lot, Investing in your backyard isn't going to make sense from mm-hmm. numbers perspective. Yeah, well, I, it, I I see what you're saying there. If you have uh, a good team on board and who are who are to some degree like a bank is protecting their own investment, um, the what could you possibly add to that that is going to be, you know, a better uh, kind of a better indicator of success uh, other than perhaps your own emotion on it like is it a is it a nice looking place would i want to live there type of stuff which i've seen and heard from a lot of uh a lot of folks who get who, who start embarking on the rental uh the rental game they like the property be, and they start to not look at it necessarily from a numbers perspective but like a, i have got an intuition about this which to me speaks to a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions which can cloud judgment uh when it when you know, like I think what you're talking about is investing is is a lot of it is just a numbers game. 
yeah, take the emotion out of it. Um, I mean, I think people can, you know, you do that 1% rent to value ratio, quick and dirty calculation, right? To see if you're going to move on. But the next step is to kind of dig into the numbers. Um, people want to, you know, really play around with the numbers. They can grab my free analyzer on my website. I think the URL is simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer. But yeah, you can download that. It's a Google Sheet or Excel, and you can go through each of the line items and see if you're going to cash flow. You know, you need to account for the repairs, maintenance, property management. Um, you know, they usually take 10%, right? But they're well worth it. They're the ones doing your dirty work for you, dealing with the tenants, termites, and toilets. Um, you know, you need to account for CapEx too, right? There's all these things you need to account for, and it's all kind of in the, that analyzer as line items. So, you know, that's, I, I would say that's the first place to start, right? It's, you're buying commodities at the end yeah. of the day. Where you're not buying the high-end luxury properties. You're not buying the low-end war zone properties. You're buying things in the middle that, you know, this country needs more of, quite frankly, right? This is like the lower middle class. So you've got uh, now this growth to, you say, 4,500 properties. And um, if I'm guessing... Tell me, tell me about your business model here. It's because you've got this website, simple passive passivecashflow.com. Um, why have a website if you've got 4,500 properties? Yeah, so today, um, well, like I said, you know, after 2015, you know, I started to realize people pick up these properties via a method called syndication or kind of think of it like crowdfunding, right? So investors mm -hmm. will come in and invest in these deals. Um, so today I lead opportunities. I go out and find a property and I tell my investors about it and they kind of jump in the deal with me after building a, a relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we're, we're, today we're kind of picking properties at least a hundred units because at that mm -hmm. point you're able to get a full-time property manager to sit at the, in the leasing office for you. And then more importantly, we have like, you know, guys running around in the golf cart, knocking out little chain, uh, work orders from here to here. Yeah. Um, instead of like when you're the one landlord, right, with the one rental property, you're using third party, um, like repair people all the time, right? Toilet fix, you know, you don't have a guy to fix that under salary. You got to pay the plumber 600 bucks every time. And you yeah. can kind of nickel and dime to death and you don't get economies of scale. So, you know, we kind of stick to 100 units at the very least to, you know, a few hundred units, apartment complexes. Um, just for a variety of reasons, economies of scale, um, and you know we can control the community too when it's larger, right? When you're a single-family homeowner, you're at the whim of your neighborhood, right? What's going on there? Yeah, no, that makes uh, perfect sense. Yeah, the the uh, the amount of work that that one or two tenants can create. <laughs> Uh, if you can get up to to 100 folks, you start to spread that the risk of uh, the risk of something uh, having to nickel and dime you to death uh, out. And and then, like you say, you can hire one person to be there who can just show up that day uh, and who's already there to take the to take the call uh, instead of that right. funneling up necessarily to you, um, because it starts, I think, to turn that passive that idea of passive income into an annoyance. Uh, where now you're, you know, you're, you're trying to enjoy dinner. You get a call from somebody and then you got to go, okay. And I got to find a plumber because, you know, my tenant who doesn't know how to use a garbage disposal, you know, yeah, that's, suddenly that's the classic one. Right? But, I mean, I, even when you're owning like single family homes on your own, I mean, get a property manager, right? That's what they're here for. 
I mean, mm-hmm. the people who don't do it, it's because of one or two reasons. Number one, the numbers don't work, right? They didn't use my analyzer. They didn't go through the numbers. They don't have the, the, the money in there to pay a professional to do this. And secondly, it's just ego. Some people want to do everything themselves, right? They feel like right. only they can prepare the toilet better than anybody else, right? <laughs> yeah. um, those, quite frankly, those people will never scale, right? They're always right. going to be working. Um, I mean, with, with our apartment syndications, you know, we work with commercial property management. So they're a lot more sophisticated than your just run of the mill residential mm-hmm. property managers, uh, which is why I like the, the economies of scale with the larger apartments. And then with single family homes, it's just, there's more stuff that the person can screw up. You know, they, they think they own the place, you know, but, and they can screw up. There's, there's just more sides of it, right? Or the apartment <laughs> philosophy or the apartment tenant, they, they just have a box, right? The inside of that box. And that's all they can really screw up. And it's really hard. It's kind of hard for them to do that. And they have that, that renter's mentality, right? They, they, they get it that they, they're renting this box that they live in. Yeah. Right? But for some reason, these homeowners or these, these people who live in homes, they feel like that that's their, that theirs. Well, a lot of folks are are surprised. A lot of folks are surprising unsophisticated as well. I remember helping a friend one point in time. There, they had a tenant, and there's and the dryer stopped working. (laughs) And I was, you know, and it's like everybody's flabbergasted. Like, how's the dryer stop? And it and it was like, oh, there's a lint. There's like a lint trap. You got to clean it. That's it. You got to clean it. And they're like, what? what there's there's it collects lint and you have to clean it <laughs> like how long have you been on the planet what have you been doing <laughs> yeah, there's grown men and women and well grown men and women with kids in their bodies yeah yeah <laughs> so it sounds to me like the the gig that you got going for yourself is that you used your smarts to figure out a system to then help other people invest their money in properties that you can help identify Right. I mean, on my website, we have a lot of free information for people to get, like, you know, their own rental properties. Like my first, like, 12 podcasts are all about, like, you know, there's these things called turnkey rentals you can buy. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive than doing it on your own, but it's not that much expensive, right? Especially for somebody new to not make mistakes. But, like, these guys right. will fix up a property, change out all the new components, the plumbing, electrical, paint it new, new roof, new appliances. And they'll sometimes they'll even put a tenant in there for you. It's like truly like rental property with training wheels. Hmm. And, you know, it's a great way to get started. Um, I mean, I got a lot of free resources to kind of if you wanted to learn more about that. But, you know, I started to realize at some point that as investors become more accredited or they become, you know, higher net worth and their time, they don't have time to do any of that type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it is training, you know, rental properties with training wheels, they don't have time. So that's where like the syndications and private placements come in, that they can kind of come in, look at a pitch deck, choose to invest, and that's it. That's all they do. Right? Dead do in you their f- name. Do you no, find that no these responsibility? Do you find that the folks who are investing in these, um, or is the is the process that if a uh, if a private investor wants to go invest in one of these, are they investing with a group of other folks in a in an individual property and becoming a a, a minority owner of that, or are they are they buying the whole, the whole thing on their own? I mean, a lot, a lot of these capital raises are like five to $10 million. There's usually about 50 to 150 investors in okay. those types of deals. And they come in as passive LP limited partners. Okay. Gotcha. And then who, 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 who is, 
who manages that then for them if they're a passive? I am. I'm the general partner. I gotcha. manage the, the investment. I find the investment. I We get the lending. I get the lending in my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of work the deal with our partners um, on behalf of everybody. The, the analogy is kind of like an airplane. Right? Mm-hmm. You have the cockpit, which myself and my partner sit in. We're the ones flying the plane. Mm-hmm. And then all the passengers come back and coach, um, pay their ticket, and then go yeah. to sleep cash your checks and get right and get their get their uh, complimentary uh champagne in the morning when they wake up hopefully hopefully <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then they, you know that's what investors do right they go into like dozens of these type of opportunities and they you know wealthy people don't invest in retail investments such as mutual funds and all that type of wall mm-hmm. street garbage right that's for the retail investor and this is kind of what set me on this path. Like when I was buying my first rental property, I wasn't that good at it. it and it wasn't that great of a rental. The numbers sucked on it, but I was still making like 20 to 30% on my money. Um, people don't believe me. They can go to my website. Um, I think the video where I do, where I go through like the whiteboard and all the math and calculations at simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. But then, you know, very early on, I was like, how am I making like 20, 30% of my money with mortgage pay down, tax benefits, cash flow, and property appreciation? Those four ways you're making money. And I want to make it 8 to 10% on this like 401k stuff, right? WTF, right? Like who took all my money? And yeah. I started to realize like this whole system is engineered to have people just funnel like cattle into this like 401k, TSP, 403b, these cafeteria of just like, garbage that all, there's all these middlemen taking people's hard-earned money and this is why it takes some um, 40 50 years to so 60s and 70s to retire i mean the most of the people i work with you know we get them on the path they get them out of that cafeteria garbage and they can be financially free in less than 10 years and that that kind of opens up the question it's like well not everybody should do this because if people did this who would build our bridges, right? Who would get our coffee? Who society would absolutely crumble, right? If people just did what I said, bought a handful of rentals, and you know, just set themselves on the path to financial freedom. Yeah, right. Well, absolutely. Somebody needs to. Somebody needs to work. Uh, not everybody can. Right, right. Like if you're not, so, if you're not comfortable buying a property remotely, cool. Just keep working, right? Because we need right. you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this this idea of sophisticated investments, um, how much of this do you do you think uh, is because of the availability of communication about opportunities that is unprecedented now in the world uh, be, because of the internet? I mean, this is a past, let's say, 20, 30 year problem or opportunity rather uh, that you can find out like you, you put up a website and you're sitting in Honolulu. Um, what, you know, 30 years ago, nobody would even known you existed or that you were doing this thing. They would have just been living their lives in their little microcosm and going to work and talking to, you know, the local investment guy who set up shop down the street. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is true. Amazing. Right. I mean, I mean, how I got started in this is talking to other investors and without the internet, I would have never found them. Right. I mean, sometimes I talk to some older investors and, you know, they, they did this back in the day, but they were like 
just, I don't know how they got connected with the right people, especially if they're investing remotely thousands of miles away. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not like literally like opening up the yellow pages, you know, there's no yellow pages for this stuff, right? It's all private networks. I mean, these are right. all like country club deals, right? And unless you went to the local country club, you weren't getting access to right. it. But now friends talk to friends, they refer people over to me and they become part of our network. Um, it's surely amazing, right? What the internet has done. And the internet also allows you to verify track record too, right? Because anybody can create a pitch deck or a webinar and, and you know, manufacture social proof likes on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always tell people like, your network is your net worth, right? This is how I figure out who I want to, want to work with by building my network big enough where I have true organic relationships with people who have worked with somebody I potentially want to work with in the future. Right. And yeah. The I, internet no, allows that to happen. Yeah. I think one of the real powerful lessons in this is what you talk about. Your, your network is your net worth because like you, the, how, how deals used to get done. I think to, to, to a great degree, how deals still get done is it's all the, the, uh, the you know, quintessential it's all in who, you know, uh, because, uh, prior to being able to just open up a website and learn about opportunities, you, you would have, you would have to know somebody. I mean, I, it's, it's analogous to when I was growing up, I, I, uh, was a into coding at a very young age in sixth grade, I was writing software and it was only because my dad bought us a computer and I thought, wow, how, how can I learn to write these games that I have been enjoying? And that set me off on a whole new path, but my mom would take me to the library after school, almost every day, it feels like, and, and God bless the woman. She would sit there and do whatever. I have no idea while I thumbed through these massive books designed for adults. And then at some point in time, and I have, I, I only, I really have limited recollection of this, but at some point in time, my dad took me to an Apple user group which are a bunch of old guys standing around talking about how to use computers better. And I was a little nothing. I was a little kid. He took me to these folks. And then that launched me into uh, the world of uh, BBSs, bulletin board systems, which are prior to the internet as we know it. And all of a sudden I'm connected up with the people who are running ISPs, like the people who provide you your internet uh, at the time as just a young guy. And it was this just this connection that my dad had made through somebody that he knew because he knew the guy who owned the computer store and then that person knew somebody else. It was as if, if somebody had just bought me a computer and then said, here, you know, have fun with it, I'd still be playing video games rather than, you know, writing software or connecting with people around the world and having an innate understanding of all these things because I, I, I pushed forward and I had somebody there who helped me leverage my own interests. It seems that that's kind of what you're doing in this space. If somebody has an interest and wants to leverage that you're the leverage to global opportunities. Right. Right. And it, yeah, it is very serendipitous, right? I mean, like, up until 2015, when I had 11 rental properties, I thought I was hot stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought buying these turnkey rentals was going to be like path to financial freedom, which it could be, right? Sure. Um, but then I started to get around these higher net worth folks and started to learn these, these strategies that these people do. And I started to realize they're very counterintuitive to what your parents taught you, especially when it's, you know, being talked by, uh, you talk to the, your cubicle mates, Cliff and Larry, this is, this is totally different from what they're saying. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that, and, and, but the frustrating thing is like the things that the wealthy do that I teach, it's very simple, simple passive cash flow for a reason, right? Like, but it's this, the system is engineered to kind of have people do the complete opposite and it kind of hurts people. Mm-hmm. So what is to, you, you talk about the system being engineered for this. What do you think is the big opportunity in the market uh, for the average, for the average Joe? Is it this, is it this uh, simple pass flow cash flow thing? Uh, or is it something different? I mean, not everybody is ready to just, uh, I think get into real estate and even though they have some sort of concept of, Hey, I could get rentals. What, what, what do you think having you having walked this journey? What, what do you think is the big opportunity? Yeah. I mean, it, the prescription is based on where you are in terms of net worth, right? Like, so we okay. don't work with folks who are broke. Like if you are in credit card debt, you know, don't have a hundred, like 10 grand to your name, we can't help you. Right. Like we work with, you know, <laughs> People who are good with their money, <laughs> you know, this is real estate investing, bro. If you don't have money, you can't invest, right? You got a money problem. And I'm not somebody who kind of teaches that type of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, right. That's, those are for, that's like what Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey are for, right? To get the, the, the financially immature, get them up the baseline. Right? Yeah. But I can take people from baseline on. So if you're kind of new, your net worth is under half a million dollars net worth, I suggest to go buy a simple rental property that cash flows. Um, you're gonna need 20 to $30,000 for a 20% down payment and you just buy and hold. And this is what I did, right? Um, no tricks, no games, just simple buy and hold, save money, buy, hold again. Um, if your net worth is higher than that, and certainly if you're an accredited investor, I think that's where the syndications and private placements come in, right? That's mm-hmm. the prescription for that level. But I mean, it's very simple, right? I mean, once you get into the private placements and syndications, they do this thing called a cost segregation, which allows you to extract bonus depreciation and loss paper losses much mm-hmm. more than just any typical rental property. And this cool little trick allows, you know, you know, a lot of my investors and myself, they can choose how much taxes we like to pay. I don't really, I don't pay taxes because I don't make money based on my pay for losses, right? This is, I think people understand this. They've heard of this. Maybe they don't understand how it actually is happening. But yeah, the wealthy don't pay taxes, right? And maybe you think that it is a wrong thing, which I totally disagree. It's the, the wealthy people are investing their money into society, right? Yeah. But like, we'll come off of that. But at the end of the day, I don't pay no taxes. Well, <laughs> that's funny. It's so funny you bring that up. I know this has nothing to do with real estate, but uh, I read an article just today, just the just the headline of it, uh, uh, that said something like Zoom made six hundred sixty four million dollars in what you know what the article said was you know COVID earnings. Uh, but they didn't pay. They paid zero taxes because they gave a bunch of stock options to executives. And it's it's just interesting to me uh, that this idea of uh, not paying taxes is sort of um, 
because you earned a lot of money because you knew you knew you, there's one thing to not pay taxes because you're nefarious, but there's another thing to, to not you know pay taxes because you just are using the system and you're spending money. It's not like you're not spending money. You're you are actively contributing to to the world at large and you're actively contributing to the economy in ways that other people can't because they simply don't have the means. So it's not like you just took the cash and like threw it over here into a big, you know, into your big piggy bank. What I tell people is like the tax code is written to incentivize us to put money into certain things that the government needs more of, such as workforce housing, which is what we invest in, right? The government doesn't create, you know, housing for low income folks like how we do. Um, So they're giving us a lot of these great tax benefits to do this stuff. And we'll take it, you know? Um, and I think that's that's our contrib- contribution to society. And hey, we're just going with what they tell us to do. If right. you don't do that, yeah, bro, you gotta pay taxes, right? <laughs> like that's, and, and, and the sad thing is I think people are like, they're just investing in the wrong stuff and putting their money in the wrong place, untax advantage. And they're kind of missing out on all this type of stuff. If right. they knew how to do it, they would do it but it's just very counterintuitive to what everybody teaches you. I mean, most CPAs and accountants don't get this stuff. That's why they still have day jobs. I'd say 99% of them don't understand this type of stuff. Yeah. They are just telling you to put money in your 401k or Roth IRA is their best means. I mean, that's lame. Like there's, there's, there's so many ways to save on taxes. Yeah. But it's, it is, I mean, it's a good start for folks who need to, who need to get money or need to start saving money. Um, I, I would disagree. I, yeah. I, just, I don't advocate for any retirement funds. And this is what like the wealthy don't really do this. So where would you big reason. So when a person starts off, so let's say you're a young, you're a young professional, you know, we have sort of this generational turnover, we're starting to get some young professionals getting cash, uh, because they've got some, you know, decent jobs. What, what do they do with those first, you know, $1,000? Well, first I asked the question, like, are we working with somebody who just blows their money and doesn't know how to save it, right? Are they good uh, steward of financial wealth? Okay. If not, then they should go follow Susie Warren and Dave Ramsey, right? Mm-hmm. But if they are, um, I would say, you know, don't buy a house to live in. Your money is going to be better off investing in a rental property or some asset that puts more money in your pocket. Um, and and don't pay down student debt, right? For example, right? Because your money is going to be better elsewhere. It's essentially an interest rate arbitrage game. Right. And then as far as like retirement funds, I mean, I would rather pay my taxes on it today and then put it in a tax sheltered account because my taxes is likely going to go up in the future, right? Mm-hmm. My tax bracket is I'm going to make more money in the future. At least that's what I think is going to happen. So I want to pay my taxes today. Secondly, I mean, look where this country is going. How are we going to pay for all this entitlement money and stimulus money, but with higher tax brackets in the future? Therefore, pay your taxes today. Thirdly, I'm not waiting till I'm 65 to 70 to retire. I mean, most people can get financially free in 10 years, but like that money quicker. And then fourthly, like when you invest via retirement sheltered accounts, yeah, it's tax sheltered is what everybody points to. But when it's within one of these accounts, you don't get all the tax benefits to be able to manipulate your taxes today. And I think that's what most people don't realize. So four big reasons why the wealthy don't don't utilize these tax sheltered accounts. 
And I, I would add uh, to that. I think those are all great points. I would add to that one of the things that you mentioned earlier, um, which is your network. Who are you hanging around with? Because if you keep hanging around, so so this idea of you become who you hang around with, like, let's say that some, by some indications, yeah, the five, the five you know, people, like the five right? people you hang around with. Right. And if we don't. So so I, I worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs. And one of the things I tell them is like, how many entrepreneurs are you hanging around? Are you the only entrepreneur in your group of friends? That's a problem. It, it's hard to be an entrepreneur alone. So go hang around other entrepreneurs. If you want to be an investor, if you want to be somebody who's got passive income, start hanging around people who have passive income because you'll, you will subconsciously begin to change your thinking patterns. But, but not only that, you'll pick up tips and techniques and strategies that nobody else is telling you because you're simply not around those people. You have to change the people you hang around with to become to, or to build the life that you want to, that you want to build. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, golden rule is never take financial advice from somebody who's not financially free. And it's likely not your parents. It's not Cliff and Larry in the cubicle next door. It's not your financial advisor, right? Because they just get money off of the commissions of the crap investments you go into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but that's the hard thing, right? Like when I first started, I had no access to any to financially free people, right? Um, but once you find that group, um, which is kind of what we offer, right? I mean, we're having these great conversations. It's like, is this ordinary income, passive income? Can I use these passive activity losses where I have to keep them suspended? You know, you can have these educated conversations. So then you can take that to your CPA or accountant. First realize if you have a good one, but then make these, you know, empower yourself to make these right decisions, investment decisions to, you know, do things the right way for taxes. Yeah. No, all all really good points. Well, this is a fascinating conversation. I think that um, the you know back to our pre, you know previous previous conver- or part of our previous conversation, which was that the access to this type of information is unprecedented right now. And so, when people want to start embarking on these paths, uh, particularly you know, let's say folks. Uh, I'll, I'll brand it. I'm in the, I, what am I, am I, am I, am I, am I, Gen X, I'm Gen X. So I was born in what, 77, something like that. And, uh, we are bound to follow the patterns of usually our parents or folks that we, you know, respected just in intuitively. That's our nature. When we find ourselves in a new position, we just go, well, that's what mom or dad did, or that's what uncle so-and-so did. Uh, instead of doing research and breaking out of the norm and the pattern saying, but what if, or how do that, how does that individual over there do? And it seems like you're offering a great, uh, a great service to folks to learn uh, patterns of thinking and patterns of investing uh, and tools and tactics that are just out of the, they're, they're uncommon. They're out of the ordinary for the, the average, the average person, even though, the average person can't have access to that. They just didn't know it. So it, yeah. I love what you're doing. I mean, just, I, I tell people like, yeah, like just run the numbers yourself. The numbers don't lie. People do. Right. I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. You know, yeah. Put it on a spreadsheet. And if you do it this way, um, I mean, I mean, what could be more prudent than going into properties that produce a, a positive cash flow stream every month. Right. And I think this is one of the biggest fallacies with traditional wealth building is this whole accumulation theory, right? You save up two to $4 million of putting your money blindly in this account that all these get commissioned out to all these Wall Street companies. You know, 
build up two to four million dollars, and then what, right? Then you get to retire and you get to eat off that big pile, right? But what you really want is that stream of cash flow so you can eat off, put food on the table with that, right? So what I right. say is like, why not begin with the end in mind, right? Get cash flow stream today, right? And that's what we're doing. We're buying these little rental properties or syndication deals, or we're creating multiple streams of income or mini pensions today. And the cool thing is like, if we build these mini cash flow streams today, like how I had a few properties when I first started, I don't, because I have a day job today, I don't need to eat that yet, but I can take those streams to buy another pile of mm -hmm. mini income streams. And this thing just grows exponentially. Like I said, yeah. if you do it the right way, you can get out of the rat race in less than a decade. Yeah. Like, and that's pretty prudent. Yeah, totally. And what a great idea uh, builds off conversations I've had recently on Coffee with Humans with folks. Uh, there were there were two of them back to back. One person lives in Hawaii, in fact, and uh, they're saying, you know, live, live for joy in the moment. Make a good decision for now because you're not guaranteed tomorrow, much less 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so for folks who are sort of following that pattern that I'm going to build up all this stuff and then 30 years from now, I'm magically going to be able to stop working and I'm going to what live then why not live now and why not in, why not develop some streams of income today and it's not that we don't think about tomorrow but we also we also want to be able to live our lives today so that we don't have to put our life on the back burner and then you know somehow build this hypothetical life that we may never ever see yeah the, the of course, people kind of like, I don't know, I get like a little twinge up my spine. I'm like, oh, that's that stupid YOLO thing, right? Like, so it seems so irresponsible and I get it. But like, I mean, what can be more prudent than building cash flow streams today? And right. we're not saying to go eat it yet today, right. right? You can still take the cash flow stream and put it to your bank account to buy the next investment property or whatever. Yeah. Right. But yeah, you're exactly right. You could go at any moment. Right. I mean, that's why I like, you know, when, you know, when I have a, a rental property these days, I try and make sure I spend it a little bit of it. So I'm, I mean, what, what's got me here is kind of what holds me back is still pretty frugal. Right. I mean, I, I've kind of have a lot of, I mean, on my website, I have a lot of these, these cheapo ideas that I used to do. <laughs> right. Like wash my car in the rain, you know, take showers at work. You know, these silly, like, you know, I never used to get, like, soft drinks at restaurants, you know. What's the waste of money, you know? That's the biggest markup on that type of stuff. Yeah. Right? But all so those are good. Those are good decisions like for today, which are good decisions for the, you know, the next 10 years, too. That's the thing. Right. Right. I mean, but there's nothing cooler than when you go buy a rental property and it produces, like, five, six hundred bucks for your month. Yeah. And use that to go pay for your Mercedes lease, right? That's sure. the coolest thing, right? Not like how most people buy another liability, but like you buy an asset that pays for some extravagant purchase. That, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, any final thoughts that you want to leave our uh, viewers and listeners with as we close this down? Uh, no, it's simple, guys. I mean, just get started. Uh, go to simplepassivecashflow.com. If you're new to investing and you want to get started, I would say go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash turnkey and also check out the first dozen podcasts. Okay. Um, it's kind of a follow my adventure type of podcast. But lately, you know, as a credit investor today, I kind of talk more about syndications, private placements, infinite banking, tax and legal stuff um, sure. today. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me, Jason.
Awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, enjoy the, the weather down there. We're just turning from uh, 20 degree weather to 60 degree weather. And then through the end of March, we'll the it'll sort of think about whether it wants to still be winter or whether it's going to move into spring. So uh, that's yeah. kind of fun. see what that damn groundhog does, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll we'll hit we will hinge all of our bets on an animal yeah we are watching that guy well cool well uh uh lane stick around uh, i'll be back with you in just a minute but for all our viewers and listeners this is coffee with humans uh it is a show where strangers become friends i met lane about an hour ago uh and we uh have just begun to meet each other uh, or just begin to meet each other here on our uh on our podcast so thanks for joining us catch us next time thanks lane one of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls. This has been Coffee with Humans. Subscribe to get updates or click to have coffee with me. Coffeewithhumans.com.